Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. Welcome to a special edition of Web3 with me, with a former guest and dear friend, Brian Zwerner. We've been working on something pretty amazing, and Brian is seeing his vision come to life. So we wanted to hop back on the mic to tell you all about We Studio. Brian, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Zach. Great to be here. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since we've been on the on the pod together, but we have been in constant contact, uh, always talking about Web three and about what uh, We Studio is. So maybe we can start with a little bit of an explanation of the vision behind We Studio, why you're doing it, uh, and the community that you expect to serve here in Atlanta. As you see, my special background. Fantastic. Yeah, we've been in the kitchen and we've been cooking up something nice and it's uh, finally come out of the oven and ready to share with uh, with your audience. So I'm excited for that. You know, uh, the, the, look, the roots of We Studio go back, um, you know, a long time for me. Um, giving back to help people that um, could use a boost has been something that has been embedded in my DNA since I was a young kid. Um, you know, Zach, we've talked a little bit about, but probably haven't covered as much of my personal history uh, and, you know, happy to share that here on this show. My uh, family is Eastern European Jews who were in Poland at the time of World War II, uh, only through the grace of uh, some wonderful non-Jewish folks in, uh, in Poland and in Germany did my family make it through uh, World War II, through the Holocaust, and be in a position to come to the United States. Uh, my mom was born in Frankfurt, Germany, in a displaced persons camp. My family came to the U.S. after... Uh, my mother was born when my mother was an infant, um, you know, lived in uh, in the metro New York area. My grandfather ran a, a tiny little shoe shop in Harlem. My maternal, that was my maternal grandfather. My paternal grandfather ran a little bakery, Jewish bakery in uh, Sheepshead Bay at the end of uh, Brooklyn. Uh, they lived, I guess, some version of the American dream as they escaped Europe. They uh, built a better life for themselves and their kids. My parents were the first in their families, uh, both the oldest children, to go through college. Um, and, you know, if not for all the help that they received in, in Europe, getting out of Europe and coming to the United States, getting established here, uh, there's just no way that, uh, you know, first of all, the family would have made it even and, and that we would have been in a position for, you know, for me to, you know, be born here in the United States as the first in the, in the, the Grossman side of my family's lineage. 
And so, you know, helping people who uh, are in a position to that you're in a position to help is something that's been instilled in me since I was very, very young. Um, and that's impacted me in all kinds of different ways throughout the course of my 50 year life. Yeah, I knew this this episode would get personal, uh, not only because of, of where we come from, but I, I share a similar history to that. Um, my grandmother, who recently passed, was uh, on the last boat, sponsored boat out of Germany um, over to the United States where they settled in, in Houston and also had a retail shop. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it's embedded because of that experience in, I think, Jewish culture. Um, but I also see it, uh, just in general, the way that, that Jew, that Jews congregate, uh, we have a, a concept called Sadaka, right? Which is the concept of giving back. Um, we don't, my son does not have a piggy bank. He has a Sadaka box, right? Um, so that he knows whenever he can find an extra coin that he can put it in a Sadaka box. And when we fill it up, we can give it to somebody who needs it more. Um, and it's just, it's a wonderful thing about the culture and I'm glad to see it proliferating with we studios. Yeah. Look, my grandparents had a much tougher road getting out of, out of Europe. My, uh, my mom's mother and her sister and her mother, my great grandmother were hidden away in a story very similar to the Anne Frank story in the, in uh you know by a german christian family uh throughout the entirety of the war with you know with great personal risk to the family that hid them uh, they were incredibly lucky to make it through she had a very large family none of the rest of them made it out of europe uh, my father's uh, my mother's father uh and his brother and his father my great-grandfather were shoe cobblers uh they were in schindler's factory from the schindlerless movie that's how they survived the war. They were in a Polish factory and and run by Oscar Schindler, and they were on Schindler's list. Um, you can see their names in the on the list now. And so, you know, if not for that, um, you know, there's no obviously you know, there there would never have been my mom, and uh, and I never would have made it here. And so, you know, that was just very instilled in me, giving back, um, helping people who need help, uh, and uh, and that's really the underpinning of the why of of why We Studios is coming about today. Yeah, I love that. That's so powerful to to take that experience like that and realize how lucky we are just to be here, right? To be born here, to have the opportunities and now to pass that on. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about We Studios. Um, I've, I obviously know a little bit of the background having worked with you on it a little bit, but um, I'd love for the audience to understand exactly what it is and exactly what you're trying to accomplish with it. Yeah, We Studio is a, a nonprofit entity, a Georgia not-for-profit corporation that has applied for and is waiting for the IRS to approve our 501c3 status, uh, which for anybody who doesn't know, can take up to a year, unfortunately, but uh, that application went in late last year. So we're just kind of waiting our turn in the pile uh, to get reviewed and approved by the IRS. Um, so it's a Georgia not-for-profit entity, um, and we will take donations from corporations and, uh, and there'll be ways for individuals to contribute as well well. And all of that money will go into a nonprofit um, and be governed by the rules that govern nonprofits, which for people who aren't aware, you know, limit how we can uh, use that money to only the purpose that's defined for our entity and, and limit significantly the amount of money that can go out the door to people. So no one, no one's getting rich off of this. This is not a fund. This is not a, a for-profit company. It's all of this is about the benefit that we can deliver. And that benefit's going to diverse individuals, uh, initially defined as black, Latinx, and women founders here in Atlanta, 
uh, who are building in Web3. You know, we felt very passionate about the ability to build a community and all the amazing tools that Web3 allows for community building. Uh, and we will utilize all of them. We plan to progressively introduce those tools to our nonprofit entity uh, over the course of the next year or two. And we'll bring in all that funding and it'll all go out as grants. Um, so we want to work with amazing founders who, you know, struggle to find that friends and family round. And uh, we're going to replace that friends and friendly capital for them with $200,000 in non-dilutive grant money. And we're going to help them with all the resources they need to get their products from idea to a live product and customer. So why is it that they can't just go raise a traditional family and friends round or a seed round with typical VCs? Yeah, if you go back and listen to our first Web3 with me podcast, you'll get a lot more of the details of the venture group I run here in Atlanta that I have for the last four years called Beyond the Game Network. Uh, Beyond the Game is a group of about 30 former pro athletes, mostly NFL players, and we invest in sports and media and entertainment and video gaming and Web3 consumer products and fitness and health and wellness. Been doing that for about four years and made over 20 investments. And, you know, across that, we've been a big part of the Atlanta tech ecosystem. We've worked with hundreds of founders here. We know all the a couple dozen venture firms and all the big ecosystem players. We spent a lot of time with a couple of wonderful nonprofits here, uh, Goody Nation and the Russell Center, uh, supporting their founders. And what we've seen from all of this, Zach, is that if you aren't the kind of founder who has that right network, who went to the right colleges that are known for the tech space, uh, who maybe worked at some of the big tech giants like a Google or an Apple, uh, you don't have that right network to launch your business, then your friends and family capital round is near impossible. The odds of you having a rich uncle uh, who can fund what you're doing uh, or having worked with the kind of people who have accumulated the kind of wealth where they can write those very early checks that only your closest friends and family are going to write to you when it's just an idea and there's absolutely no proof for traction. That was the biggest problem that we identified in working with founders here in Atlanta, especially the diverse founders. And that's the place we wanted to tackle. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's access, right? Just to two people with that kind of and then the fact one of the things that I know we discussed early on was a lot of these people are building already and they're already accumulating big balances, debt balances, right? And so when they do go to raise, if they are able to raise 50,000, that actually just puts them maybe in the black, barely, right? Like it, they're starting from zero with that. Whereas they need upwards of a hundred or $200,000 to actually have some operating capital to keep this business going, which I found was just such a great insight. Yeah, a lot of the times we've seen people who, uh, you know, diverse founders here in Atlanta and elsewhere who managed to win a pitch competition or get access to one of the grant programs or maybe find a, a local angel that's willing to write a check. The challenge is, like you said, they're, you know, they haven't paid the lawyers, they haven't paid the dev shop, they owe money to the marketing team, they owe money to their employees. The, the hole is already dug, um, you know, by spending 6, 12, 18 months trying to do this without the same resources, you know, that a founder coming graduating out of Stanford or walking out of Apple is going to have. And so, you know, when you try to do it that way, we, I commend the effort. It's a fantastic effort and it's not something I would tell people not to do. Um, it's just so much harder uh, when you're constantly behind that, uh, that eight ball, when you're constantly, you know, staring at a, bank, a, a zero in the checking account um, and knowing that you owe people money for work that's already been done or haven't been able to pay yourself anything for six, 12, 18, 24 months. Uh, it's just so much harder. We want to alleviate that funding stress 
for these diverse founders. We want to give them the money to know that they can really get from that very first of ideas phase to a live product with live customers. And we think $200,000 grants is going to give them the chance to really do that. If you can't make something work with 200 grand, you're probably not in the right space. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, look, the, the return profiles that are necessary for a nonprofit giving a grant versus a venture capitalist who wants to has to earn a certain return in order to keep his fund afloat are, are totally different, right? And like, we're, you're really plugging that need in. Uh, and I find that just amazing. So when we first started with the idea for the venture studio, and we've been working on this Zach, for three years, uh, since, you know, early 2020. And uh, we started researching the other for profit venture studios. And there are a lot of wonderful ones out there. Uh, but they're taking a lot of risk. Um, as an investor, you're taking a lot of risk giving money to somebody who just has an idea with no customers, no traction and no built product. And so, you know, to justify the risk that they're taking, they take back a huge chunk of the founder's company, of the founder's equity, 20, 30, 50% of the company. We wanted to create something at We Studio that was going to help people. That felt like payday lending to me. You know, that felt predatory, like taking advantage of the fact that a founder has no network and is willing to give up a quarter or a half of their company for that early money. I didn't want to do that. That didn't feel like helping. That felt like something different. And so, you know, we reset this as the idea of a nonprofit and started really working on this in earnest, you know, around this time last year, uh, because we felt like this was the way to do it, where you'd still leave the founders in control of their company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, they're coming in there kind of already at a disadvantage um, while, or, or in a hole, right? Maybe a shallow hole at this point, but like why dig a deeper one? Um, they, they can always have that opportunity once they leverage something like We Studio Grants uh, to go work with a venture studio when it's more of a level playing field. Uh, but at the point that they are currently at, it does not make sense, uh, which is a, is a very profound point. Um, so I guess that that's one aspect, right? Um, we, maybe, maybe it would be helpful for you to kind of explain the other aspects of how we studio is going to be supporting these founders and then talk about all the influential people who have put their, you know, time and effort into helping you grow this, joining the board and stuff like that. You bet. I'll take the first part first. So the other thing we learned working with these early stage diverse founders here in Atlanta was when they did manage to get some cash in the bank, if you didn't have the right network to raise the money, then you probably don't have the right network of technology development firms and lawyers and digital marketing teams and HR groups and financial modelers. You don't, you know, if you don't have that first network of friends and family, if you're not embedded in the tech ecosystem from either where you worked or where you went to school, then the odds are you probably don't have those right vendor relationships. And those are critical. You need to use those to fill the holes in your founding team. Not every founder is going to have no founder is going to have every skill set needed to launch their company. They're going to have to hire people or hire vendors. And what we saw over and over again with these diverse founders in Atlanta was they just ended up with the wrong vendors and they ended up massively overpaying for the technology that they wanted to build and didn't get what they wanted, or they'd hire a marketing firm who promised them a $2 acquisition cost or CAC, and they end up spending $22 per user. Um, or they end up, you know, overspending on a lawyer, over lawyering the documents too early in the stage of the business. And the money just goes 
poof, it just disappears. And so that's another key part of this studio model is we'll be able to go out and negotiate bulk rates. We'll be able to vet the vendors and bring the best in class service. And they'll, those vendors will know that when they work with We Studio, they're not just working with one client one time and it's a one-time deal and they need to price it that way. They'll know that if they do a good job, they could be working with five, 10, eventually more founders every year. Um, and they can price it at a much lower margin because of that. And so that is a key part of how we're going to help these founders to be really, really successful. We're going to also surround them in a big, passionate bear hug with wonderful mentors and advisors. We started building out that team. And I appreciate, Zach, that you're part of that group. As you said, we've got amazing people who are really committed to diverse builders in Atlanta on our board of directors. So our board is four people, myself. Uh, plus Christy Brown. Christy is a multi-time founder here in Atlanta, been in the markets here for over 20 years. Uh, she ran a venture studio program for Loeb Ventures out of New York. She ran their Atlanta arm for a few years. And in the last year, she ran Launchpad 2X, a woman uh, support uh, for entrepreneurs nonprofit. So she's the triple threat. She's, uh, she's built, she's invested, and she's uh, run a nonprofit. So she is ideal. Um, our unofficial home for the uh, for Wii Studio is the Atlanta Blockchain Center, and I'm uh, blessed to have, thank you, there you go, right there on the shirt, blessed to have uh, Marlon Williams, who is our uh, one of our board members. He is the founder of the Atlanta Blockchain Center, just an amazing uh, co-working and event space. They run the here in Atlanta that opened last year. They run their own um, program, pre-accelerator program called the Immutable Program, where I think both of us are, are mentors and advisors too. Uh, so just a great place to meet founders. Marlon's very passionate about helping uh, builders and specifically diverse builders here in Atlanta. And then our fourth board member is Asante Bradford, who works for the state of Georgia in their economic development area. He's been there for a long time. And his role for the last decade has been, you know, bringing entertainment companies to the state of Georgia, mostly Atlanta, but film and, and TV, music, video games, any kind of entertainment companies. He's got fantastic relationships that should be hugely helpful. And he's very passionate about building this, you know, Georgia and, uh, and specifically the Atlanta ecosystem here. And so uh, I'm really excited about that. We have some wonderful people like yourself who have agreed to be on the mentor team and on the selection team working with founders. Uh, we're just so excited by the passion and excitement that we've seen from, from people all around the community. Sounds like a no brainer. <laughs> I, I want to dig a little bit deeper though. I want to understand two, the answers to two questions. Why Atlanta and why web three only? Yeah, yeah, those are fair questions. So Atlanta's easy. I'm, I'm here, you're here. Uh, we've got a wonderful community here. I think, look, the Atlanta to me is, uh, I spent a lot of time investing and traveling to other tech ecosystems around the country, San Fran, LA, Austin, New York, and so on. Uh, there is just no more diverse tech ecosystem than Atlanta. I'll uh, I'll take the Pepsi challenge with this sucker with anybody. Agreed. Uh, you know, <laughs> show me another city where you can go into and and see as much diversity in the in the room as what you see here in Atlanta on a consistent basis. It just doesn't exist anywhere else. I've never seen anything close. Um, and you know, and we have. Um, you know, wonderful nonprofits that have already been set up in this space that have been successful, that have delivered uh, in, in the Goody Nation and the Russell Center for their constituents. Um, we feel like we're really plugged into that. So that's first and foremost. It, we are diverse here. Uh, there is a culture of supporting diversity and diverse founders. And then obviously Atlanta has all the advantages 
um, of a tech ecosystem from, you know, two big things. We've got huge Fortune 100 companies, you know, Coca-Cola, UPS, Home Depot, and on and on. And we've got an amazing university system all in close contact here. Everything from, you know, Georgia Tech to uh, the HBCUs to Georgia State, Kennesaw State, University of Georgia, only an hour or so away. I mean, just tons and tons of wonderful colleges putting out such great engineering talent, marketing talent, founder talent. So Atlanta to me is a no brainer. Yeah, I think um, before we move on to YWeb3, one of the things that I always share uh, about why I love Atlanta Blockchain Center so much is that every time I go there, 80% of the people are people of color and they're developers. Tell me where, you, where you can go in the United States and find that. That oh, no, man. I went to some of the Miami Tech Week. They were talking about diversity and it was still mostly white dudes in the room. And, you know, and and it just isn't like that here in Atlanta and it never will be. And that's a big part of it. Now, the Y Web 3 is a is a good question. Look, as I launched this entity this week, a lot of people in my network were pushing back. Why am I just doing Web 3? Why just Web 3? You know, you should do all tech, all founders. And look, for me, this decision is about the future. It's about the timing is good, not bad. When things are disrupted in the Web3 market, that's the time to build. I fully believe that Web3 is here and it's here to stay. I think, you know, just like Web1, and, uh, you know, and I've said this many other places before, if you didn't have a website, you tried to say we don't need to go on the web back in 2000, you're out of business or you gave up and did it. And the same thing happened a decade later with social media. Companies that said, ah, oh, that's just a fad. It's not important. I don't need to be on Facebook and Instagram and so on and so on. They, they've all come to, to believe that that's critical to their business. And I think Web3 is just the next evolution of the internet. Um, everyone, every company will have a Web3 embedded into their strategy. And building today is exactly the right time to build. And the market is still young enough where there's an opportunity for this market, to, the Web3 you know, ecosystem to be built with diversity at the core. It doesn't have to look like Web1 and Web2, which were dominated by white and Asian males. It doesn't have to. It's still early enough where the game-changing companies of the next decade are going to get built now. They weren't built five years ago or 10 years ago. You don't have to compete directly with Google and Apple and Web3. Um, there's all kinds of opportunity here. Plug that in on one side and on the other side, you know, the um, things that we've seen in community building in Web3, the, uh, that was what inspired us to make this the core focus. Everything from groups coming together to buy the U.S. Constitution, uh, to Kraus House trying to buy a basketball team, LinksDAO buying a golf course, Seed Club funding um, you know, new startups, all done using these Web3 primitives and technologies building community in this way, it just felt like the right answer to me. And while I understand there's risk and Web3 could, you know, is going to be messy and disrupted for the next year or two at least, um, I think the risks are far outweighed by the rewards, which are just so big if we get this right now. I may be a bit biased, but I think it's the right space to be building in. I have to say, I listen, 
the purpose of my show is to help people understand how to how their brands can overcome this perception problem that Web3 and crypto is all about scams. And it's really hard when you have people like SBF who are in the spotlight testifying uh, in front of Congress come out to be a complete fraud. But what will help is stories like We Studio. Right. Because you're going to leverage, you're not only going to be funding founders or providing grants to founders who are building in Web3, you're going to be using some aspects of Web3 to help make it somewhat decentralized as well over time, uh, which I find very valuable. Do you want to touch at all on, on the Web3 aspects of the studio? Absolutely. But, you know, the one thing I'll add first is just that I think it's really important for this type of a studio model to have some differentiation. If we just did any technology from marketing tech to finance to entertainment to this to that to the other thing, we would never really develop that muscle and brain power that I want to bring. I want to bring real experts together and I want to bring people that can really move the needle. And I think by being concentrated and focused in an area, we've got a better chance of, of having companies that come out successful. Now to the Web3 um, you know, tools, Look, if we could have gone straight up decentralized day one, man, I would have done it. Um, I would love to try that. I just don't think that it's it's ready today for that. I don't think that the corporate partners that we want and need are familiar enough with those tools today. Um, and I don't want to push that into something that's not ready yet. Um, but we're going to bring that ethos to it. And, and you know, look, over time, um, we will build a community of supporters both corporations and individuals and venture funds and all of the vendors, the technology shops and law firms and so on. We'll build this community and we'll give the community the ability to make decisions. Right now we're starting with um, founders that are black, Latinx and women. If the community wants to define diversity in a more broad fashion, I'm totally good with that. We'll let the community decide that. We're only going to allow founders who are based here in Atlanta or are going to move here. We want to be able to, to see them, to get in a room with them and to work with them. Down the road, if we wanted to have We Studio chapters in other cities or allow some type of, of uh, remote work, I'm open to it. I don't love it, but I, if that's what the community wants and that's what people want to do, then I'm okay with it. And we'll make that happen. But longer term, really where I want it to go? Man, it's going to be exciting when we're ready to have a situation where founders apply, they get vetted by our team, they come to a live in-person event here in Atlanta, they pitch their company and their ideas and their passion for the sector, and then the community decides which founders that we let into this program. And then the community will be even more vested in trying to help those founders to be successful. So we're going to get there. Um, it might take a year or two or something on that order of magnitude, but we are going to get to the point where the community is going to decide what kind of founders we want and specifically pick those founders and be able to support them all the way from their idea to their launch. And that's that's the ethos that we'll go on and and build towards here at We Studio. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it, it, it brings up a, a, a term that I use often on this show which I consider the practical approach to Web3 in general, even if it's not a, a venture studio, just any startup, which is you got to progressively decentralize, right? You got to find some product market fit. And in this case, part of your product market fit is finding corporate sponsors who will help fund it, right? It's not 
it's not just finding good founders, right? Like you have to have the capital to be able to fund this stuff. And right now we're still in, we're still in the teaching phase, right? And we're still overcoming a lot of these perspective issues, but we will get there. I know we will. And then you can start to slowly hand back some of the decision-making authority to the community because you got to have the visionaries too. And I, one of the beautiful things about this is the flywheel that it creates, right? As, as you fund more founders and those founders are successful, they come back and they want to give back to we studio, right? Not necessarily even financial, right? Like that'd be great, but like also just mentorship and help helping people that need someone to talk to that want to understand the process, right? I think it's a beautiful that's gonna be at the core of what we do and look we did you know we didn't want to start with all this dow and nft and token lingo and and turn off a broad you know swath of the people who may not believe in those things or haven't understood them yet or seen how that they can work we wanted to create this in a way that was very comfortable for anyone to get involved because we feel like this has you know mass appeal and mass opportunities for companies that come in as founding partners, they'll have the ability to shape the mission of WeDAO. They'll come on and get offered a board seat. They'll be able to join us on the board of directors with one of their employees. Uh, they'll have the opportunity to meet with these diverse founders throughout the application process and as they come into the studio, allowing for more diversity to their own businesses. They'll have the chance to partner with these founders, whether they're in the studio or just people that we meet along the way. They'll get access to potentially bringing those new ideas coming from diverse builders into their own big businesses. And they'll have the first look at doing that. So, you know, not only will the, the corporate partners be helping, um, and, you know, we're looking for corporate partners that have a, you know, a true commitment to helping and funding diverse builders. And we're looking for corporate partners that are serious about Atlanta. You know, they're either headquartered here or have a serious presence here. If you're not in Atlanta, frankly, I don't need you on the founding partner team. I want people that can participate. Mm -hmm. I want people that can host our founders, that can send their employees to be mentors and meet with these founders that are going to be open to partnerships with these founders once they have live products. Mm -hmm. That's who I want on our corporate, you know, partner team. Yeah. I want those kind of companies that are really committed to the same, you know, same core ethos that we have around supporting diverse builders and supporting, you know, doing that here in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, and, and with that focus in Atlanta, you're going to build us, we're going to build a stronger knit community as well. Because people are passionate about the city they live in, right? And you need to find people that exhibit that passion so that people understand that our community is here. It's in the city. And look, like you said, that doesn't mean that we're going to be only in Atlanta forever. But over time, we'll, we'll build a much stronger community by learning from what's in this city. Right. And who's well, and the city is really moving fast to support tech. Our new mayor is uh, is I mean, he he's only been in office for a relatively short time. And I have seen him in person at like 10 different tech events over the course of the last year. He is committed to the technology industry. Um, he um, brought on a wonderful individual. Uh, Donnie Beamer as his uh, tech czar is what I call him, uh, head of head of you know technology for the city to encourage startups and big companies in the tech space and venture investors and angel investing. They have you know big dreams of what they can do to really push this forward, and it's amazing to see the support coming from you know at the government level to really make things happen, and then put that alongside all the wonderful co-working places like Atlanta Tech Village and ATDC down by Georgia Tech and and the nonprofits that I mentioned earlier, Russell Center, Goody Nation, and what we're doing, the Atlanta Blockchain Center. I mean, there's just so many great things happening in the Atlanta Tech ecosystem. And we're 
And and we find that the the founders, the investors, the people at the big tech companies, they're all proud to be part of it, and they're all proud to you know to to sing the praises of the city of Atlanta and uh, and the opportunities here to anyone that will listen. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the things that keeps coming to mind as we talk about Atlanta is Atlanta is largely seen as like an epicenter for culture, for hip hop culture, now for entertainment culture um, writ large and. I mean, what is Web3 if not bringing together brand and culture, right? Um, so I'm excited to see this. That's one of the reasons it's great to have Asante Bradford on our board of directors. Asante has been right at the intersection of that, working with movie companies, TV studios, uh, music uh, labels, and video game companies to bring them here to you know to Georgia, to the state. He works for the state, not the city, but obviously most of those folks have found their way to the city of Atlanta or somewhere in the surrounding areas. And so it's amazing to have him as a part of this, and uh, and we're excited. Doesn't you know any, any founders who are looking to build in Web three for us can mean anything from that kind of consumer entertainment uh, to collectibles to art. Um, to infrastructure and technology tools, to payments and payment rails, uh, to broader metaverse. Um, you know, we define Web3 in a very, very broad way, um, and we do it deliberately. It'll have a much wider remit than what we invest in out of uh, the Beyond the Game Network group, which is focused in kind of sports and entertainment and fitness. Um, it's wonderful if some of those founders want to find their way over to Wii Studio. And obviously, I've got a lot of personal um, uh, background and and uh, and you know knowledge and, and relationships in those space. You know, but we filled in with folks on the board and in the advisory crew uh, that have experience across all those other areas of Web three. And we, you know, we really see this very very broadly. Yeah, that's something I've I've been. Uh, it's been an exercise I've been taking a part in recently, uh, which is kind of zooming out a little bit. And I think Web3 has, and rightfully so, been connected to everything related to blockchain for a long time. But like really the idea behind Web3 is that it's the third iteration of the web, right? Um, and it just so happens that blockchain is what made that possible. But there's other aspects of technology that are developing at a rapid pace that are gonna help facilitate that ownership level, that identity level uh, that the blockchain permits, which is AI, right? Um, that's just one of the most interesting things right now. I think everybody's talking about mid-journey and um, chat GPT and open AI and all these, all these wonderful tools. And they'll be able to help people become creators in, in this space and, and own what they do a lot better than they were able to, you know, even three, four months ago. Right. Um, hey, look, if we were going for all the buzziness, we could have done uh, Web3 and AI startups. Yeah. That was uh, uh, not really a consideration for us. But, uh, you know, I think we'll see the same thing happening in the AI space as we will with Web3. These will just become parts of successful businesses. You know, Nike, you don't call Nike a Web2 business, but they have a massive social media presence. You don't call the NBA a Web2 business, but they have enormous interaction on their social channels with their fans. And I think the same thing will happen with both Web3 tools and primitives and with AI tools. Uh, they'll just be the best companies, the companies that lead the next decade or two, uh, will embrace these tools and utilize them for both, um, you know, in the case of Web3, for bringing their communities closer for engaging their customers or fan base, whatever it may be. Uh, and then the same thing with AI. AI is just going to be another set of tools in the toolkit that's going to allow you to build your business better, faster, and cheaper. Um, and, and I think those will be the, um, you know, we'll be at the cutting edge of trying to help our founders use those tools. We've got a number of people with some experience in there. 
And we'll be looking to bring those tools to our founders and encouraging our founders to try them, uh, to see where they can use them and see how they can help their businesses. Yeah, exactly. It, it, like you heard it here. We talk about it all the time on the show and, you know, on social media. Stop limiting yourself to saying you're a Web3 business. You're a business first, right? right. Web3 just might happen to make your business better, right? Um, a certain technology around Web three, I love that. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm super excited for 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 We Studio, and I'm, I can't wait to uh, to see it grow. Uh, if you are uh, a person who works at a corporation that has a mission to support diverse founders, please reach out to Brian. Um, hit me up. I'm available. Yeah. Brian at WeStudio.us. Go on our website. Hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn, anywhere. I'm, uh, I'm always open to hear from people. We're looking for, you know, like I said, companies that are committed to supporting diverse builders and committed to Atlanta. Um, if you're involved in Web3 in some capacity or your company's already gotten involved there, that's a plus, but it's not required. Exactly. And we can come educate as well. So if you need help understanding why Web3 is so powerful, uh, both of us and, and the many people that are a part of this founding team, uh, we, we can help. Um, we talk about it a lot. So uh, I wanted to shift gears unless there's any closing thoughts you had on, on We Studio and, and kind of get an update from you writ large on what your participation in, in Web3. Yeah, look, I mean, it's been an interesting market time. Fortunately, I had no direct dealings with anyone at FTX. I had no money there. I hadn't, you know, really come into contact with them or, or considered investing in them. We don't really do financial technology at Beyond the Game. Um, you know, it's a terrible thing for the market. I feel bad for all the people that did have dealings with them and, and have to deal with all the mess that comes off the back of it. Um, you know, I don't see it as an indictment of crypto in general. I think it's much more in the vein of, uh, you know, Enron and, and Bernie Madoff and, and crime and fraud as opposed to, um, you know, what tools they happen to use for crime and fraud. Uh, Enron didn't end the energy industry and Madoff didn't kill hell hedge funds. Um, you know, these were just bad people doing bad things. And, you know, based on the allegations from the U.S. government, that's what was happening here. We'll see how it plays out in the court system. That appears to be the case. And, and that's kind of how I view it. I mean, it, it's it's sad for all of the people that had funds there and all the companies that were doing business with them and all the people who worked there and had nothing to do with whatever was going on on the fraud side. Um, overall, it's obviously disrupted the markets. It's changed the price of a lot of tokens. Um, it's moved a lot of pieces around on the board. Uh, but I don't think it's changed anything. You know, this is the first time in a crypto market price crash that people aren't really asking the question, is Bitcoin going to make it? Um, okay, fine. There may be some coins that were more directly affected by FTX that, that have, you know, existential threats at this point. Um, I get that. Uh, but the overall market as a whole is, is it's just too big to fail at this point. It's not going anywhere. Um, prices will move. They'll go up. They'll go down. They'll go sideways. But um, I think the market is here to stay. Uh, I think we're going to see the benefits of uh, the billions and billions of dollars in capital that have been invested in wildly cool, fun, amazing startups over the last two years. Uh, new products that are becoming market in 2023 and in gaming and in music and in collectibles and in sports uh, that are just going to blow people's mind. You know, a lot of the, the past build was about financial products and financial gain, you know, buying a token because you thought it would go up and uh, staking a token because you wanted to earn a high yield. These were financial in nature. Um, we've only seen a few real serious, you know, mass market products that have been about something other than just making money. You know, so rare and Top Shot and some of the others that have reached some serious scale. Um, I think we're going to see 
a lot more of that in 2023 and 2024. So I guess I want to cover both sides because, you know, Brian, I know you're also in media, right? Um, You've got some pretty cool uh, videos out there and you're a writer as well talking about the space. So I'd love to get your perspective from the media perspective, what are you seeing? And I also want to know about your perspective as, as a VC investor, what kind of deals you're seeing, how you're advising your founders to weather this, you know, winter that we're in and stuff like that. So feel free to start wherever you'd like. Yeah. I mean, on the media side, I mean, certainly people who were already skeptical can now wag their finger and go, I told you so this is all a scam. (laughs) And that is what it is. I'm not here to try to convince those people. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend my time on that. I think people are still very interested and curious. I think the skeptical people have moved further to the skeptical side and then are probably going to write this off for a while longer. And that's great. That means more room for the people who are seriously committed and aren't just checking it out as tourists. Um, I think, you know, look, it, it's, it's, it, I think people are more interested in learning about the space now. I think it as, you know, even bad news is good news, so to speak, and that it brought more eyeballs to the sector and more attention um, in a way that, you know, wasn't necessarily positive, but it did bring more people into lo- wanting to learn more and, and, uh, and, and, and being less quick to just sort of jump on the thing that's going up in price and more looking to dig and understand at a more deeper level. So I think that's been helpful from that perspective. Um, on the investment side, it's a tough market out there. And not just for Web3 startups, for any tech startups. Uh, yes, there's a lot of VC money that's been raised. There is a lot of dry powder, but the standard for getting funding in today's environment here in January of 2023 is tough. I mean, you need to be showing real progress that is consistent with whatever level of capital raise, whether it's your seed round, your A, your B, so on and so on. You need to be crushing your metrics. You need to have everything in line. You need to have the right team, the right idea and the right early customer traction, uh, or you're not getting funded. Uh, and you know, we're seeing a lot more companies having to turn to insider rounds or bridge rounds to try to give them a little bit more oxygen to get them to the point where they can hit those metrics and are ready for the, a legitimate next funding round. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of companies that are just being forced to tighten the belt, um, cut staff, cut programs, cut back to the core of whatever their core product may be uh, and uh, and put themselves in a position where they can extend runway. 12 months is great. 24 months is better. Some people are out there pushing longer. I don't personally think that's necessary. I'm generally more constructive on the macro environment than most. I think by the second half of this year, things will be moving in a better direction. I feel like inflation is on its way to being under control. I'm hopeful that we've seen the lows in the tech stocks and some of the more volatile stock space. I recognize there's a lot of risk to that macro call, uh, but that's my macro call. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, you know, if I was a founder in your portfolio and I came to you and said, Brian, I'm hearing that, you know, while there's capital out there, like I'm not, I've got to like hit my metrics and I've got to extend it for a longer periods of time. What's some like generalized advice that you might have for, for those founders in order to make it last a little bit longer and and weather? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you got to focus on the most important thing. You got to really have a good understanding of what investors need in your particular market or type of company in order to write that check. And then you've got to use all your resources in a hyper-focused way to get to that, whether that's a certain number of users or a certain amount of revenue, or if you have revenue, but it's, uh, you know, the margins aren't where they need to be. You need to figure out what that thing is that's going to get you over the hump with a very skeptical investor base. Um, with a very cautious investor base and you need to really zero in on you know what is that most important thing and how do I utilize all my resources how do I cut the distractions uh, you know maybe I used to go to conferences maybe I used to spend a lot of time as a podcast guest or writing a newsletter or playing around on Twitter trying to get stuff forget all that right focus hyper focus on unless that's driving to your core metric um, you know, you need to be focused on the most important things and you need to cut those distractions. If you had one product that's working and two or three that didn't forget them, get rid of them, um, cut them back, burn them, whatever it may be, um, save the money, um, and marshal your resources towards whatever's going to get you to, you know, to the point where you can, you know, be in a position where funding is going to be easy. Um, and that, and figure out, understand what that means, get in touch with some of the VCs that, and, and get that advice from people at that next level of funding or whatever, whatever round that may be for your company. And, and just all your resources have to go there. You just can't afford to be um, scattered in any way. I love that. I mean, if, if we could you know, summarize that in, in one word, I'd say focus, right? 100%. Focus on what are those core metrics that are important. There's a ton and like of one or two, not yeah. 20. Right. You know, really, really drive in on the thing that is going to make your company uh, investable. Um, if you can, if you have a business that has a way to get to cash flow positive, um, you know, look, that's not always the case. It depends on stage and type of business and everything else. Um, if that's a possibility, then you're in a much better position. You don't need to, you know, beg investors for money. They'll find you <laughs> once you're cash flow positive that's and growing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're lucky enough to be in a situation where that makes sense for your business. Yeah. I get that that doesn't apply to everybody. Yeah, I think too, you know, just drilling in on the, the focus side, like think about what uh, areas of your business need more support. Right. Right now in this time, it's probably something along the lines of, you know, uh, you know, maybe product and engineering needs a little bit more support than sales and marketing. Go out and build the thing um, and, and, and know which one of those departments is going to help drive the, the metrics that your investors are recommending. Yeah. And look, most of these metrics are going to be around number of customers, customer usage and retention, revenue um and things of those natures and so yeah if, if if it's your product that needs to be improved great if it's uh you know more or the right types of customers then go get them um but you've got to find a way to you know utilize whatever resources you have access to and you have to be you have to be um you know willing to make the tough decisions if you've hired people that aren't focused on those missions if you got a little distracted when easy money was available with multiple things out there that weren't driving towards your core business you have to make the tough decisions and you have to put yourself in a place where you're not um dependent you know where your business is going to go out of business because you can't get funding from outside sources you just can't count on that right now 
Well, thank you for that. Not unless you're crushing it in every way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Not unless you're an anomaly and you're just crushing everything. Um, but but thank you for that. I think that'll be helpful. I know that I have a, my, a lot of my audience's founders. A lot of my guests are founders that come on here and they appreciate that. They they, they want to get inside the mind of, of their investors. And so that's super helpful for them. Um, you know, we're, we're nearing the top of the hour and usually I would have two closing questions, but you've already answered those because you're a repeat guest. Uh, but I do want to focus on how your opinions for the future and the trends you are seeing that you are writing about, that you're reporting on is, um, through your videos have changed since the last time we came on. And for the audience context here, it's been about four or five months, right? Um, the last time you came on. That's an eternity. You know, crypto is dog years, yeah. right? So uh, four or five months can feel like four to five years in this space. I mean, obviously, last time I was on was before, you know, the real downturn of the markets before the FTX debacle was announced. I mean, there was, there was a lot of change in that period of time. That's for sure. Look, I, I think um, what I'm looking forward to this year is that the majority of the things that have been built in crypto, as I said earlier, have been kind of financial in nature. You know, buy this thing because it's going to go up in price, um, you know, stake or invest your tokens for a yield. Most of the tools that have been built have been around exchanges and trading tools and investing tools. Um, you know, we've seen a few things that have not been that, that have broken out. I've seen, you know, hundreds of thousands or even millions of users. I think that's what we're going to see much more of in, uh, in, you know, in the coming time. I think there's um, an understanding that the user experience for Web3 and crypto on mobile phone is terrible today. Um, whether that's better apps getting built, better wallets, better browsers that embed these things, or whether it's whole new phones like the Solana phone that is hopefully still coming out at some point this year, or whether it's just Apple and Google finally accepting that, that, that they want to have a bigger role in the future of these areas. Um, I think we're going to see some of those mobile experiences really improve and change and allow people to get more involved in this space that, ha that you know, aren't technically sa as savvy or as comfortable. I think those will be important trends this year. Um, and I'm hopeful, you know, I wrote about this and I'm, I've, I've been, I will continue to, I'm hopeful we're going to see as a result of, you know, FTX pushing things, I'm hopeful we're going to see some regulatory clarity this year, whether that comes from SEC actions or SEC um, guidance or whether that comes from Congress, I'm hopeful we're going to see some moves. I think the first and most important thing is, is around uh, crypto custody. You know, uh, uh, the, the average consumer does not know the difference between a Fidelity and a Schwab account and a Coinbase account. Um, they think those things are the same and protected by the same protections that you get when you open an account at Fidelity or Schwab to buy stocks. Um, and, you know, or places like Robinhood who offer both you know, stock and crypto trading in their in their core infrastructure. So I think that's a key area. And I think stable coins um, is just another area where uh, it's just on our regulatory environment, whether it's the CFTC or SEC or, or Congress to, you know, to set some rules and to make sure that when a consumer buys a stable coin, the freaking thing doesn't ever move to a price different than a dollar. It just can't. Um, and they have to reduce the amount of risk that the stable coin issuers are taking so that that term means what the consumer thinks it means. So those are kind of the big areas, you know, regulatory, moving away from financial only products. I think those are some of the big things that we're going to see here in, uh, in 2023. Yeah, I think what'll be crucial to watch on the regulatory side of things is 
will you be able to get anything passed in Congress with the split between the House and, and, and the Senate? Um, but also how reactionary they are to FTX. I think it, that is going to be really the most important thing because we saw with Enron how Congress reacted with Sarbanes-Oxley and the after effects of that and how it's pushed money out of public markets where normal people might have access to companies and really push those returns back to early private company investors. So hopefully there's not too much on that side that the second order effects of that aren't considered. Um, but we all know how we tend to act when it comes to regulatory uh, compliance and, and scrutiny. Uh, man, at this point, I would rather bad, overly draconian regulations than none. Like bad, overly draconian regulations can get changed over time to be more workable. None is just too risky. And frankly, it's keeping people out of the markets. Um, you know, that the, we're, we're, there's only a small number of Americans that are willing to participate in these markets without regulatory clarity. So um, I'd rather bad regulation at this point than none. I'd rather draconian stuff that then the industry can move to try to fight to get back to something more reasonable than no regulation, which is where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope that it doesn't. I'll take clarity, bad clarity over nothing at this point. Um, yeah. I know not everyone agrees with me on that, but that's. That's my view. <laughs> not that, not that, not that Congress is asking my opinion, but that's my opinion. You mean you I'll aren't you aren't testifying in front of Congress next week? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I I think that that's it's on a it's on a sliding scale, right? It's on a spectrum, and uh, I, I to an extent agree with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, anything short of like outright banning all crypto or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which you know, I think there's plenty of of, of Congress people out there that might uh, try to push for something like that, but. I uh, saw something that like nearly a third of Congress people took money from FTX. Uh, that's a story that's been going around this week. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out there. Look, it may be the it may be the SEC providing some guidance. I think they could go a long way uh, towards providing some safe harbors for what makes a token not a security. Um, and that would be a very, very simple thing to create a safe harbor test to put that out there. Um, hopefully, I mean, it's it's hard to see it happening with Gensler in charge, but hopefully they could do that after, you know, soliciting feedback from the industry as opposed to just coming out with something. Um, I, I think there's a shot of something along those lines happening over the course of the calendar year. Um, and I do think we'll see something around crypto custody and stable coins get through Congress. I think those are those are those are big enough issues affecting tens of millions of Americans. They've got to get on that. And not just Americans, right? The stable coins uh, pr provide a great use case for countries outside of America that have to operate on the U.S. dollar as their reserve currency that don't yeah. necessarily have access because of a restrictive government. They can use those stable coins to, to build businesses abroad. And the U.S. regulatory has always led the way on this kind of stuff, whether it's, you know, stable coins to me are analogous to money market funds. There's really no difference other than the way you purchase and move them. Um, and so it just, it just, they just need to mirror that. It's so simple, you know, just limit what they can buy to things that are very, very safe and liquid, um, and limit the way that they're, that they're marketed. Um, so that, you know, if you don't sit in the box, you can't call yourself a stable coin, you know, the, the Terra Luna should never have been called a stable coin. It was something totally different. Right. And it's, you know, you, you can't, um, call something a money market and then go buy risky tech stocks with the cash. It's just <laughs> not allowed in the United States. And that's, it should be as simple as that to fit, to call yourself a stable coin to utilize that in your marketing to have consumers think that that's what they're buying you have to be in highly liquid very short-term very safe investments and it should be no different it's just they have a framework for this just utilize the same framework that's used for money market funds 
they're really no difference, really just the way they're marketed and the, the way the cash moves. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and that framework has survived cycles for, you know, decades, plural. So like why, why reinvent it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there any other thoughts as we kind of wrap up the episode on what you'd like to see or, or hope to see this year and in, in the industry? No, I mean, I think that covers a lot of it. I mean, I guess, you know, the only other thing I'll say is a lot of the, a lot of the things that have gained press and in, in the, in the web3 space have have been things where it's really tough for the industry to look at a skeptic and say that didn't you know that could only have been done using blockchain um you know even things like whatever nba top shot or so rare like frankly those could have been built on their own independent servers uh any of the web3 games could you know could have just been built on the epic game server uh, the same way those assets are done. So I want to see some stuff this year where it is just absolutely clear cut that not for blockchain, this just wouldn't be possible. You know, at the end of the day, most consumers were fine trusting that something's on an Amazon web server or Microsoft or Google's ad database or whatever. Um, we don't really care whether it's on the blockchain or in some giant company server, Chase Manhattan Bank, whatever, right? Um, so like, I wanna see some stuff that could only have been built using blockchain technology reach mass scale. That will be a really exciting moment. I get beat up by my skeptic friends all the time. Oh, that could have been done on the by the company themselves. They didn't need a blockchain. I'm waiting for the time when I can say this one. <laughs> <laughs> And and I get that there's plenty of things that have been built that way. I mean, this one, which also has a million users, <laughs> you know, or hundreds of thousands of users that's really reached mass scale um, and could not have been built without blockchain technology. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Other than in the financial space, I get a decentralized exchange, whatever is, is what it is. But I mean, you know, something with that's not just a pure financial play. Yeah. That's a beautiful place to leave it. I've, I've enjoyed this. Great to have you back on. Excited to build We Studio with you. And uh, yeah, here's to 2023. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing with We Studio and helping us get the word out here, Zach. It's been great talking to you again. And we're going to have a lot of exciting stuff happening as we announce our first corporate partners, as we uh, start to come back to your audience to talk about what kind of founders we're looking for, what we're looking for in founders. As our founders get live and start building products, man, I, you got you got me on, uh, on the schedule as many times as you want this year. We're going to have a ton of new stuff to share. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a little uh, micro series uh, for I love it. Studio. I think it's a great idea. Well, thanks again, Fantastic. Brian. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.